What up? It's your boy, the Mark Rob, aka Sean Mad Love, aka Gordon Darks, aka Pacey Twitter, aka Four Eye Willie, aka Ill Jackson. <laughs> Coming at you with a new episode of Deleted Scenes. Before we start season five, and wow, it's <laughs> I can't believe it's actually been that many episodes, but but this Deleted Scenes episode is going to be episode number 81 and the 14th installment of Deleted Scenes. In this Deleted Scenes episode, we go back as far as season three when we had our conversation with Millicent on Scorsese films. Um, so we touched that uh, back a little bit back then. Uh, we kind of get a little bit more takes uh, from uh, Pesci and Goodfellas. Then we pivot to Halloween Kills takes, uh, some French dispatch takes, and a revisiting of Ghostbusters Answer the Call. <laughs> uh, so this deleted scenes episode is going to run the gamut of topics. Uh, we touch from everything from natural hair to God. <laughs> so kick back, enjoy, and we will see you soon. Peace. So what do we want to wrap up with after hours? Is this, I can't think of a comedy that was this necessarily weird that I actually liked. Cat, can you think of a comedy that's, that borders on this kind of absurdity and oddity that you were drawn to? So the only thing that I can think of is like, if you were a super straight person, and I mean that degree of super straight, and you were trying to watch like the birdcage. But even then, I I feel like there's enough, like, family values and, like, heart in there that it shouldn't be that weird. Yeah, and by that time, we kind of knew what Rob was going to do to that movie. So, yeah, even the super straightest person going into that movie, they kind of knew what it was. So, like, no. I also, I was in a particularly weird space when I saw that movie. After Hours, that is. So I'm not sure that I liked it. I acknowledge that it was excellently made and I would like to revisit it at some point in the future, but I was not in a great space to watch it initially. I, I didn't like it after I watched it, but like reflecting on it, I almost feel like that's another one you have to watch again because there's so many elements to it and you cannot predict one single thing that's going to happen in that movie, which doesn't usually happen. You can usually pinpoint certain things that are going to, go wrong and that movie is as unpredictable as weather in new england mm-hmm. yeah i when i rewatched this the second time i did have a better appreciation for it so i think you guys will have that if you decide to watch it in the future i still have goodfellas on the back and i'm watching the scene just before he gets arrested by the cops in the end and just the juxtaposition of what uh henry and karen were going to the cope uh going to the copacabana and then the end with them on the 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 lawyer's couch talking about going to witness protection like 
it's just it's just really amazing that Scorsese really is is talented in world building and building out these characters and developing these stories. Obviously, you know, it's, it's based on, you but, know, real events, but he does a really good job visually with all these movies. He does. And in the Copacabana, it's dark lighting, but it's a little smudgy and hazy in that way that it often is when you think about your first real, like, love. And then on the couch, it's so bright and stark and clean lines. Yeah. And nobody's having a good time. Yeah. That that DA was actually the real DA that um uh that was a part of the Henry Hill case. And and Casino, if you remember the lawyer that was mitigating sh- uh Sharon Stones and Robert De Niro's like where would you be? Right back to me, right back to me. And the lawyer that was walking Nikki to his car when they did like the steady cam shot, like that lawyer was actually a real lawyer like involved in that whole shit so uh there's like some youtube clip of him like walking with like whoever nikki santoro really was in real life so it is kind nikki of funny santoro that. in real life was six foot five yeah, like he was from cambridge but but hey but you but you believe joe pesci didn't you i mean yeah you not <laughs> because joe pesci may be four foot six but he got the spirit. Um, yes, he does. He absolutely does. And like Joe Pesci carries himself like he's actually 6'4". Yeah. I can see that. And I think that, that that's another thing that like I just noticed with the Scorsese movies that we watched is that I think each character, sometimes we find out what it is, sometimes you don't, like has a whole internal life. They can all have their own movie. Right. And and you buy it. Like, I know that Goodfellas is about Henry Hill, but I bet you could have a whole movie about Henry Hill and just him. You know, there's so much that we don't see that brings this character and this vibrancy to the the narratives and to the world that they've built. I know we talked about world building just kind of generally, but I do think that some of the world building is stuff that we don't ever get to see. The final dismount question of the three movies, who's the sexiest of them all? The sexiest or the sexiest character. Well, I mean the character in the movie. So I'm going I'm gonna go first. I'm going with Kiki Bridges from After Hours. Like just really just the not giving a shit about anybody else. (laughs) Then just topless for no reason. Not for the shock and all of it, just because they're just tired and they already get they're, <laughs> they're getting ready for a horse, which is hey, um, I had to give it to Kiki Bridges. Uh, so Millicent, who's your pick for the sexiest of all these characters in the three movies? Oh, you know it. It hurt my heart when I saw Ray Liotta had aged. <laughs> Not not in a particularly good way. I mean, we all get older, but some of us like age up, you know. Yeah, no. Nope. Into like more of a fine wine. So if we're, if we're going for period piece to say that that the Henry Hill character, but it's because it's not even necessarily looks. 
Henry Hill had a way about him that mm-hmm. he was charming. He was charismatic. He wanted, was it? Yes. which I think we can all agree that it's like that in real life for mm-hmm. a lot of people. Yeah. And we've all known someone who's a wonderful person, but all they have to do is pick up a bottle or pick up a bad habit and they're completely turned around. So prior to the to the drug use, I think that Henry Hill is it for me because and and the way he is with Karen when that guy assaults her. Yeah. And yeah, you know, that was really you, hot. Yeah, it's I I know it's like problematic in this day and age because it's like endorsing violence. But if somebody hurt you, you would hope that someone endorsing violence for sexual harassment is not controversial. Okay, I don't know what (laughs) interaction is because every week it's something new and it's hard for me to learn everything so quickly. If someone sexually assaulted somebody that I loved, I would probably be the one committing the violence. Exactly. Um, so, but there was just something about that scene where yeah. it, you just you just know he cares about Karen and he's got her back no matter what. And there's something about knowing somebody is looking out for you. And mm-hmm. it's very it's very alluring. And there's a lot of there's a lot of relationships in life that are more self-serving or it's like a it's not necessarily a connection that you would have because you're attracted to each other. It's more like a situational thing. Mm-hmm. And like, this is just like purely, you know what? She hurt, he hurt someone I care about. I'm going to take care of it. Yeah. That's really <laughs> the only relationship he has in that movie. That is not a social, like climbing status driven relationship. Like, yeah. he, he meets her through a friend, and he brings her in. He vouches for her. And she ends up being part of the world, but he brings her in because he loves her and because he cares about her. And she's Jewish, too. Yeah. Which is, like, you know, it circles back to what we were saying about Italians being very welcoming of people from other cultures and nationalities. Yeah. So, Kat, you have the pick. The sexiest of the three. Who we going with? I'm going Ace. Hey. Uh, I value a man who is a caretaker. I value a man who knows how to spoil a woman. And I value a man who values his own woman's competency. And that's obviously not what actually happens in the context of the story. But, like cool he's good at what he's good at he knows what he's good at he also is uh judging by the fact that they just seem to be constantly making out for a while uh fairly passionate which is something that i appreciate a great deal um i love a man that is comfortable wearing flamboyant pieces um and yeah they're they're marriage ends up becoming kind of this business partnership but that's because there wasn't ever any initial romance there. Yeah. And that's like a bummer, but like, I get it. But at the same time, like I, I would have been interested to see and feel optimistic about what an actual romantic relationship would have been 
in that case. Hmm. I also, though, like, I'm not a math person, so I don't know how old Robert De Niro actually was there. But I know they were like, he's like 34. And I'm like, no, he isn't. Oh, hell no. He's not. He was not a 34. I think he's I think he's supposed to be. So by the time the, the movie is over, which is supposed to be, I, oh, I guess it's supposed to be around 95. But at the end, when like everyone's getting clipped, that's supposed to be about 83. So mm-hmm. I think in I think in 83, he's supposed to be in his, I would say, probably mid to late 40s. And by the time the story is told, he's supposed to be either in his, his like, 50s or early 60s. Right. So I think during the course of their marriage, he probably got married, I would say, probably, like, really no, I think he's like supposed to be forty four if I remember right. So I think he married when he was like forty four or some shit like that. But Okay, uh, well listen. I'm a child, but also like adults are hot. So okay. whatever. Um oh, okay. All right. I'm sorry, but there's nothing more attractive than someone who has their act together. <laughs> and is willing to take fashion risks. And it's, oh. and it's, and it's nice. Nice, you have your act together. You know, I mean, let's say even as an adult, people that have their act together are still few and far between. But just the the moment where he was like, if we respect each other, and even if it doesn't work out, as long as it is a relationship of mutual respect, like, it is okay with me. And like, I will let you go if it doesn't work out. As long as there's that respect. And the reason that he can't let her go, to circle back to what we were talking about earlier, is that she increasingly and increasingly and increasingly doesn't respect him. But why stay in that, though? From his perspective, though, why stay From in that? his perspective? Because yeah. he loves her. Yeah, but she's also an investment, too. You invest in people that you care about. I, and I don't, I he mean, doesn't everybody... want her to... He doesn't want to give her $2 million and never go drink herself to death. Within the week. I'm not saying it's an idealized relationship. Yeah. But I th- I think that there is, like, he also is pretty, like, square that whole movie. He doesn't really do any drugs. He doesn't kill anybody. Like, call, call me a square. But, like, you know what I love? A man who's confident enough in himself to not do cocaine or kill anybody. Um... So let's make that dating profile for you right now. <laughs> I I don't think that I need a dating profile. No, you don't. Uh, need, but if you ever do, and no, you won't. You're good. You're good. That that would be a fun message to get. Hey, um, I saw you're on Tinder now. Oh, hey, babe. Uh, don't worry about it. Experiment. We're just doing it for the podcast. It's it's for the the rich marriageable one, but once we both kill him, it will be fine. Um, but yeah, I I think to him he is first of all really trying to be a partner. He's he's trying to make it reciprocal, but he's also trying to, like he's a caretaker by nature, and so am I. And I think that those two things together would make a really like that's an attractive partnership to me. 
Saturday is the thrifting caravan. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm really, I'm actually really excited about that. Um, All of my coworkers have really unique senses of style and they all trust me to help style them. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. um, And I, my mother is an incredibly talented dresser of herself and other people. She's really good at fit. She's really good at matching clothing to personalities. Like she's really good at it. And I'm not as good as she is, but I'm pretty good. So it's in the blood. I think I just was raised watching the best. (laughs) So they're wrong with that. So they're wrong with that at all. Like my she she blows me away continuously with with how she she dresses and how she dressed then and like i am now pretty much the same size that she was when she married my dad so i have a bunch of retro pieces from the 80s and 90s and some even from like the 60s and 70s that were hers that's cool yeah it's really cool um and I love recontextualizing them into modern looks. I found this picture of her and she thinks she still has this jacket somewhere. And I'm about prepared to fi- like pay her to find it. It's a gold and black smoking jacket because she didn't like wearing dresses to parties when she was like on the executive board of Gillette. So she would wear pants and a, and a nice jacket. And it's this black and gold smoking jacket. It's really tailored. It's got all this brocade detailing. Cool. You said she she doesn't know where it is, though? She thinks it's still in the house. Okay. That does not narrow it down much. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't, no. But I'm like, chill. Yeah. Please, I'll, I will give you... I will I will throw out half my wardrobe if you have this one jacket. And <laughs> if you know me, you know that I I love getting dressed every day. Like taking a couple <laughs> minutes to put my look together is my favorite part of my day. I mean, I say that in a day that I'm wearing a, a tank top and yoga pants, but I did not have time to put my look together today. So I am sad, but that's okay. Um I mean, no, we all been there. We all been there, so yeah, I also, uh, certain pieces, like, I really wanted to wear something today that's dry clean only. I'm not doing that today. <laughs> that's yeah. a stupid idea. Like, Just a bit, but. So I, like, laid it out and was like, nice. That would look so good. <laughs> and then I put it all away. Hey, I mean, you visualizing the fit, man. It's funny, like, I actually, I... I've been doing this thing lately where I'll just test outfits out, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm just going to like a store. But it's one thing if you like visualize the fit, yeah. And then even look in the mirror, but then it's another to like go outside to have other people. Yep. So. Oh, if I leave the house for any reason, full beat on the face, like <laughs> gooped and gagged, like we are. Oh, we're going to, we're going out to the grocery store. Ah, we're going out like <laughs> everything. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't mind. I don't blame you, man. I'm like, it's, it's so funny. I, like, I guess it was a couple of months ago now where I was, 
I got dressed for the first time in like God knows how long. And it was Yeah. And it was like I got dressed like multiple days in a row. So it's kinda like Yeah. You got to, man. At certain point it's kinda certain point is like a mental thing. Like if I look nice, I will feel nice. So let me look nice right now. Yeah. No, it, it really helps. And like my therapist was like, even if you put them on, spin around in the months and take them off, like you enjoy getting dressed every day. You enjoy spending that 10 or 15 minutes on yourself. And like, yeah. that's okay. And I was like, oh, that's okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Definitely. Definitely, man. I, um, I'm not and sure. And I've definitely already picked my outfit out for Saturday and the thrifting caravan. Oh, that's that's totally fine i'm not even sure well this is i guess this, this is the time now to kind of think about what i'm my fits for this summer because now well, well it's weird like yesterday was 90 but today mm-hmm. today it was like cloudy and a little bit rainy but now like san antonio the spring is virtually the spring here only lasts like a couple of weeks and then it's like on the summer honestly so mm-hmm. Now I, I I definitely got to get I got to figure out what I'm wearing below the waist and above the feet. So yeah, that's uh, and also like losing weight and like fluctuating weight. That's kind of uh, this kind of a juggle. So I have been like four uh, women's pant sizes are crapshoot anyway, but I've been like four different sizes multiple times each in four years. So oh, wow. I keep what I call a jeans library <laughs> where I keep jeans from size 27 to 31, which are the sizes I've been uh, just in case. And like my friend has put on some weight recently and she has realized she doesn't have any jeans that fit her. And guess what? While she was going up, I was going down. So I gave her some of my ups <laughs> and like, especially with women's sizing, you gain like half a pound in the wrong place and suddenly you're two sizes bigger or smaller. Yeah. You know? So it's never, for me, it's never been from a place of tagging or shaming or whatever. It's just from a place of like, Oh dude, I get it. Like you had your period and drank two beers and suddenly none of your pants close. Like here's a bunch. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to keep that energy going. And I'm also like, I've bought a lot of pieces this year that I like that make me feel pretty. I'm just like, trying to figure out what fat, what is fashion going to be? Like, what are people? So here's the thing. Is my Boston a fashionable coworker... city? Yes. Okay. But it's not my, it's not my style, but it's a fashionable city. Okay. Because San Antonio is not. There are, there are places that are my style, but it's, it's not generally my style. So here's yeah. what I would say. Like San Antonio, like for the most part, they don't know how to dress down here. There are people that can, but for the mm-hmm. very, very most part, they don't know how to dress down here. But keep going. So here's the thing. I think that it is going to be my coworker Ken is married to a fashion forecaster. Okay. <laughs> okay. And He has said, and I was thinking this, and I've been thinking this for a while, that it's about to be the rules are there are no rules. 
Oh, yeah. You are going to go out to a nice restaurant and there's going to be someone there in sweatpants and there's going to be someone there in a velvet evening gown and they will both be appropriately dressed. I never want to wear jeans again. Like never. So I have that's that's my biggest challenge. I don't know what pants or shorts to wear anymore because I never want to wear pants. I never want to wear jeans again. I don't feel like wearing chinos. It's about to be 100 degrees every day here. So I'm in the winds. But then it's like, then it's like the shorts. And it's like, well, I don't necessarily want to wear athletic shorts all the time. I mean, I don't want want to wear cargos. And it's it's a struggle. This is a real struggle. (laughs) Well, that's what I'm working on doing with Greg on a Saturday. So if you want to hop a flight. uh... Hilarious. So are you are you trying to level up his swag or no? Yes. Okay. He's got a great sense of style. Like if you showed him things and were like, what do you like? He would pick out good things. Okay. But like he doesn't for himself. He wears the same type and style of jeans as my dad. I mean. And listen, Peter's pretty styling, but like it does not like Greg from from the waist up is like the guy you're afraid of at a punk show. And from the waist down is my dad. Hilarious. It looks like one of those things where you'd like spin the torso, spin the legs and spin the head. Is he was he not like a fan of the skinny jeans era, the torn jeans era? I don't know how to answer that, because the only other jeans that he has are what I can only describe as um tight. Emo jeans, um, like my Chemical Romance jeans. Yeah, but like if it was an MCR porn parody. Hilarious. <laughs> That's a hell of a description. <laughs> like they are. He's concealing a weapon. Oh, that's not a weapon. A weapon of mass destruction. (laughs) That is the episode dismount. (laughs) I'm sorry I kept stepping on you, but that is the episode dismount, definitely. Oh, man. My bad, though. I I didn't mean to. My bad. It's okay. It is a bummer, man. I I think it kind of made it better because you were like, is that it? And then I'm like, no. And you're like, oh, no. It was like an all. It was like an awesome wrestling promo, but like no, like don't cut away, uh, TBS. Keep keep the cameras rolling. Keep it going. It's like when the wrestlers like see the um see the the camera pan away and they hit the side of the camera to turn it back towards them. <laughs> yeah, it does suck though. I used to fuck it. I used to fuck with this movie heavy, but it's... and and the thing is like. I think all the girls who see themselves as Sarah still fuck with it. Yeah. Because they're like, if I had magical powers, I wouldn't be a bitch like Nancy. Like, I would only do the right thing like Sarah. And like, no, you wouldn't, Linda. Like, (laughs) I don't, I don't necessarily. The whole reason that she gets the white magic is because she doesn't really want to do any of this at all. Yeah. She's got the light because of what she's overcome. 
And the fact that that hasn't ruined her. Yeah. Not to imply that every anyone who, who undergoes trauma is ruined, but like she chooses to be, be optimistic and move forward. She does not choose to be like hateful and bitter like Nancy, who is the black magic. This is a very like, I don't particularly care for how well, like aggressively they moralize this. Yeah, that's like another problem. The idea that like there's only two ways to survive the trauma and one is good and one is bad. See my previous sidebar about how men have decided women women can process trauma. Um, That sidebar that we will be revisiting next week when we get to Halloween kills, fellas. Um, Hilarious. And you you know, the funny thing is like, if you want to tell a story about people who are disenfranchised but intrinsically people are kind of motivated by like selfishness or like maybe something just like this this thing within them that's sort of impure i think telling that kind of layered story has a lot of merit and a lot of validity but in this one like it just it wasn't handled with any kind of care at all like it wasn't any like it just wasn't I, any of that at all. And it's I hate sucks. to keep bringing it back to Clueless, but I feel like they were like, we could make Clueless, but with witches. Not understanding <laughs> that Clueless. No, I'm being serious. Like not share, like 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 well, share like, fucks with her people, her friends. Not understanding that Clueless is a very meticulous pastiche and retelling of a Jane Austen novel. Yeah, and. A central thing in all Jane Austen novels is, man, what if women were people in the way that men are people? And they had all the complexities of of thought and emotionality in their life, in their mind's eye that men have. Even like Cher is kind of a, a, a ditz, a dunce, whatever. But you can tell like she genuinely loves Dion and Ty. Like right. that's like that's unquestionable. And so even in her like cluelessness, like there's still something inherently good that she's motivated by to help others. She just happens to fall in love with Paul Rudd, who's her stepbrother. Damn man, I wish this movie was fire. I'm so sad it's not anymore. <sighs> Has it happened to you before? A movie that you really fuck with and then like you watch it like years later and like, wow, I really don't fuck with this anymore. I'm struggling to think of one off the top of my head, but there have definitely been movies where I've been like, oh, this is like actually about something very like different than I thought. Yeah. When I used to watch it as a kid. Um, I'm trying to think if there's like one that I was like, oh, Jesus. Um, I feel like I didn't watch a lot of like, I watched a lot of like, Disney and timeless classics and the original Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. Like I didn't watch a lot of like stuff of my dad, who is a very high, like judge of quality. Like he thinks all the Halloween movies are shit. Cause he thinks like horror as a genre is shit. Um, like I was pretty insulated from stuff like experiences like this. But like, I, I do remember like watching Batman 66 for the first time in a long time. And I was like, Oh, Bruce Wayne's like, kind of he's like it's a great movie but like he kind of treats all the women like shit like (laughs) their only value to him the only time he feels any remorse hitting a woman is when he like finds out that she's pretty 
<laughs> Fuck yeah. Yeah. Or like they have a really long shot in that movie where like a bomb is about to go off in the bar and it, it hovers on two like fat women eating lunch and they yeah. aren't running out of the bar like everyone else and that's the joke. Yeah. So I wouldn't say that it's like I've discovered like, oh, this movie isn't I don't fuck with it anymore, but I'm like, oh, this is like definitely like about other things or is meaner than or darker than I thought. Yeah. I I still give I still gave craft three and a half out of five on Letterboxd. Um because I I do appreciate the actress's attempts. Um and I mean Nev Campbell's has always been fine. <laughs> I still remember her walking in the classroom the first time I watched that and uh, that uh, that had an effect on the boy uh, but, but yeah man I just wish there was I wish there was just more shit here to like actually love about the movie than those like those two things so on Letterboxd Halloween Kills is averaging 2.8 which it's probably it could be just a sign of a, a lot of bullshit reviews already uh, the top review I see is a, a shitty Michael Myers joke. There's the point of Michael Myers did not say is iconic, groovy, or do I make you horny, baby, alive? So who the fuck knows if this guy even watched it or not? But yeah, um, we will see. We will see. It it was almost there. I hope. I think you're gonna feel the same way that I feel, where you all right. see all the pieces of the good movie. And it makes it even more frustrating that it didn't like hang together as a good movie. You know, the funny thing is, I think the I think the movie that we most I think I think a lot of movies we watch, we've even even if the rating the star rating is different, I think there's a lot of movies we we kind of align on, and some mm-hmm. some some maybe not, but I think for the very most part, there's a lot that do. I think. Candyman. I don't think we've ever aligned in a movie more than Candyman. Like that Strong movie was a, that movie was a shit show. I will tell you. I like Loki. Thought we were gonna start getting our periods at the same time. Like we were so insane. Um, we did, but that's another story. <laughs> I'm scared. I'm scared. Different podcast. Um, <laughs> oh, no, man. I I agree, and I actually I was really proud of that episode, and I. He got he crushed this dude's fucking skull. I will say it's so weird because coming in the era of slashers, growing up in the eras of slashers, like some of the kills are gnarly, but there's just too fucking many. And it's too the, the suicide one was very disturbing. Even even you know, the fucking kid, like it's too I, much and it's too gross. Cameron, Especially in a franchise that isn't well isn't known for its excess of gore well the original though the well, original. right but that's and, the and one three. we're spinning off yeah like well i mean but they they pay homage to the other ones also so right but even even season of the witch which they they pay a lot of lip service to in this movie not that gory well yeah i was uh, yeah the first one and the third one that's it basically and seeing that mask just slicked with blood I was like, oh, 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 
Like, why? Why are we doing this? I don't know. <laughs> there is porn. no fake blood in 1978. I was watching pre pre the cancellation of Netflix. You cancel your Netflix? I did not cancel my Netflix, but I am not watching anything on it at this time due to their ongoing weirdness with the Dave Chappelle thing, especially considering that they have multiple shows with trans staff members that they are refusing to to support and their concerns at this time. So at, at the moment, Netflix and I are not chatting. We're not friends. Okay. We don't hang out. We're in a fight. But I was watching the movies that made us, which recently did a Halloween episode. They never used fake blood. Not once. Because mm. John Carpenter thought it was scary in that case. You never see the knife go into somebody either, by the way. Um, the idea of what what you don't see about violent death being just as scary as what you do see is compelling. And then this one's like, man, what if we made a first person shooter movie and also it stars Michael Myers? Yeah. I if this were a VR experience, I would love it. If you if someone whacked me in like a, a Sony Verve or whatever the fuck they're called and was like, you're running from Michael Myers. I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm running from Michael Myers. Like, amazing. That, but that's not what it is. It's a movie. <laughs> it's a bad movie. Ooh. They brought all these old people back just to clap them. That was except that, was that one girl. Yeah, she lives. She's at least gonna have to be in the next one now. Because they can't long. pretend they didn't not kill her. I this third movie's gonna be a fucking ride, man. It better land. <sighs> Maybe. <laughs> this movie sucks. This movie yeah. sucks so bad, yo. Uh, the ex- exposition. You know, I was thinking about, man, we have been. I'm, I know we're going to be taking a break for a couple of weeks, but I am happy that we're going to talk about Dune because we talked about some stinkers these last couple of weeks. The black guy about to get his eye fucking poked out right now. This piece that, of, was, that was a great Friday the 13th style kill. But that's what I mean. Like, that's not why I watch these movies. Like, we have Friday the 13th. On the base level, the kills are awesome, but they're not needed. So, but they also don't feel in line with the Halloween movies that they've established as canon at this point. No, they haven't. No, they don't. Like, there's no, there's no, there's no creepiness to this movie. Like, there's no suspense to this movie at all. No. No, there isn't. It's like free-falling through a tornado of bodies. You just see them pass by. This movie is sponsored by the Shamrock Company. <laughs> oh, man. No, because at least that would have been interesting and weird. Did you see French Dispatch with Matt, too? Uh, yeah. He gave it five stars. Really? Well, I humbly disagree, but I also, oh, I low-key hate anthology films, so I definitely think that took a full star off for me. So, well, let's get some French Dispatch preview. I, I just, I don't like anthology films. I liked each segment of this film, 
and I wished each segment was a full film and I wish the connective tissue was a whole film, but trying uh-huh. to digest all of them together, I found difficult. Okay. Um, that said, um, this is maybe my least favorite Timothy Chalamet performance. Ooh, that's not good. I watched my my most favorite and my least favorite. In like a two day span, basically. Yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty violent. <laughs> so to me, uh, his performance in French Dispatch, he feels like a child, in a way that is not charming nor interesting. Oh shit! And in Dune, he feels like he has finally gotten the Shakespearean tragedy character that he has always longed to play. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I'm being, I'm being very serious. Like oh, yeah. this is his, his like Oedipus Rex. This is his Hamlet. This is his like, I don't think he will be nominated for an Oscar for Dune, but if he were, I would not be surprised nor upset. All right. There you go. That's what's uh, up. And his performance in French Dispatch is funny, but all of the things I laughed at were Wes Anderson things, not Timothy Chalamet things. Do you think it was poorly written, though? Then? Do you think no. it was poorly written then? No. No, I just think that the character was meant to be charismatic in, in some way, and he did not land it for me at all. Okay. It might also just be because, like, the character is meant to be immature, and that's what me- is what's meant to be charming about him. And that shit does not fly with me at all. Hilarious. <laughs> but also to me, um, the French Dispatch had a lot of positives, but I also feel that it lacked some of the things that I love the most in Wes Anderson movies um, by not having one overarching narrative, um, especially like his often existent commentaries about like the nature of love or parenthood or like self-identity and and those are the things i often look for in his films yeah so to have one that doesn't each segment of the movie covers one or all of those in some way but not having a, a deep dive in what that means in this case just felt very not quite it for me I also would like to say, I know I just said some very harsh things, but I really, really did love it. It's still a four-star movie to me. Nothing wrong with that. But it's not, you know, his other movies are higher for me. I have two thoughts, right? I know we did our favorite Christmas movie episodes last year. Would you have any interest in doing a reviewing traditional holiday like revisiting kind of quote-unquote traditional holiday movies thing because like i've never seen scrooged and i own it on dvd but i've never seen it and like i didn't know if that might be something worth revisiting oh you mean the bill murray one yep or uh i guess ghostbusters the new ghostbusters is coming out somewhere in there so if we wanted to try to sneak that in that might be a good time to do that did you want to watch that well, I mean, like, personally I, for yourself. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I like Paul. I like Paul. Oh. Okay. This is such an un- unpopular opinion, but I think that I saw Ghostbusters too late 
like by the time I saw it, I saw it for the first time last year. By the time I saw it, it had been so hyped up to me. Yeah. Like this is the movie. This is the comedy. This is the most important thing. And I got to it and I was like, it was good. Uh, it was fine. Why is this so many adults' entire personality? It was fine. Um, yeah, because I saw four too. I saw answer the call first. Answer the call. That's the the all female one is is officially like in the Ghostbusters canon. That one is called answer is, the call. That's what it's well. That's what the uh, song was called. All right. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. All right. And I was like, yeah, I'm into it, actually. Like, it's not great, but I appreciate that there are some really strong character moments in here from each of the women. And I feel like everyone's really trying very hard uh, in a, a movie that they didn't really need to try very hard on. Is it possible that people just don't like this movie because they're all sexist assholes in this essay? Um, well, was that the case? Or I never saw it. I didn't think it was as bad as everybody was t- telling me it was. And I remember feeling like everyone who was telling me it was really, really bad were men who love the first Ghostbusters very, very much. (laughs) Uh, Probably. And I'm not necessarily anti-men who love the first Ghostbusters very, very much, but anyone who says their favorite character is Venkman, I distrust on principle uh, because all he does in those movies is sexually harass people. Venkman does? Bankman's uh Bill Murray, isn't he? No, I think that's um the tall fake Willie Allen one. Hold on. I for, I forget their fucking names. I haven't watched that movie fucking forever. Hold on. Yeah, Dr. Peter Venkman is Ghostbusters. Is he a womanizer? Because I don't remember that. All he does is hit on women and bother them. Oh shit, I don't remember that. I'm not saying you're. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying he I really don't remember. Kisses that. Sigourney Weaver at the end, and she's like, "Yeah!" Like you can see her like trying to get away from him. It's horrible. I don't think I've watched Ghostbusters unedited in at least a decade, probably longer. So that's probably why I like you so much. Hilarious. I will. I would identify with him, and I from I remember that I would not identify with him. I'd be more. Well, I remember watching Groundhog Day and being like, wow, this is the same character, except he actually learns to be a better man instead of succeeding in spite of being a dickhead. <laughs> That's the, that was the uh, Chevy anti Chevy Chase thing. <laughs> so that's probably the only reason why he actually learns on the end of that movie. So was there any other negative about the movie that you can kind of think of? I mean, the only thing that I can say, and this is something I knew going into it, but I still think is, is worth remarking. This is only half a movie. Yeah. But it's a, it's a spectacular half. half. Yes. It's the spectacular half, but it is half a movie. Yeah. But it is a fucking blast, man. So for me, obviously. I, I also can't there. help but wonder, like, I think they filmed all of it at the same time. If the next one is coming out a year from now, at least until the time jump, because there is a time jump that happens. Um, yeah, there should be. Um, 
from the best of my knowledge, I have not heard of any like reshoots that actually happened with this. So, so yeah, I would actually so they, they were, sneakily filmed a two part movie because they were going to release this last year, um, but they didn't because of COVID. So, yeah, I don't think they did any reshoots this last year, which, yeah, some of these movies definitely could have benefited from. I can tell you that much. Yeah. Oh man, oh shit. So fucking um the uh Nyes, is how you pronounce her name? Dr. Liet Kynes. Kynes, okay. So I loved her too. She was great in this movie. She's a man in the books. Say shout she's in Rogue One apparently, but yes. Do you remember her in Rogue One? I don't remember her in Rogue One. Because they say I she's think- a captain. Yes, I think that's correct. A senator. Hang on, I'm scrolling. First of all, I just think she's beautiful. And I think that's worth like acknowledging. Oh, well, while you're scrolling, I'm going to acknowledge something else. I'm very happy the black people in this movie had very black hair. Like, like there were no shape ups. There, there was no germs. Like everyone was mad natural out this piece. Like, yes. It, like, it is interesting though that um none of the folks that are coded as Middle Eastern were Middle Eastern. Oh yeah, Harry Barden. That was a little iffy. I, I just feel it's worth acknowledging. Um, I don't know that we need to all all twist our panties about it yet. Um, yeah, he. I mean, he's but he's, he's Spanish, you know. He, he he get the little pass for now, but you know we need some. We need our you know our our Muslim brothers and sisters in the next one. So we'll we'll, we'll keep an eye on that for Doom Part Two, twenty twenty three. Did you ever go back to Halloween at all again? Yes. What did you think? Any better second time around? No. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh. <laughs> no, if anything, I thought it was worse uh, because I knew what was coming and I realized that it didn't justify any of the surprising bits uh, that it thought Ooh. it had. Uh, the other thing that I, I really frustrated me is I read a behind the scenes bit that says that they actually cut the last three minutes of the movie which were Jamie Lee Curtis calling Karen and like Michael Myers picking up <laughs> and he just, know- just breathing into the phone. He knows how to use an iPhone now. <laughs> well, it says swipe to pick up. It's not fucking rocket science, homie. Um, oh, no. He's like 60 years old. He, he- can drive stick. Um. You know, if, if Mike Myers can use a fucking iPhone, I'm going to... It's over for all you hoes on fucking Tinder. Um, yo, oh my god. Imagine M- Michael Myers you, TikToking himself killing people. Like, um, I think I've sent you a couple of TikToks from Michael Myers' talk. May I just say? Hilarious. Hey, um, but... No, um, and and it's just him breathing on the phone, and the movie ends with Laurie, like, and uh, the the cop in the other bed, uh, like 
getting up and going like enough's a fuck enough like let's go and like I, at least that's an ending yeah instead of what we got where they were just like goodbye and it's like what what um yeah and if that's how the next movie starts which maybe it is i'm gonna hate it twice as much just so you know in this essay um telling you it's you know i think i think halloween kills ends and it's 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 legit like it's like 9 48 <laughs> i what time does it get dark there three in the afternoon I, mm. this is before the daylight savings <laughs> i'm getting oh. angry talking about it again um Oh man, that movie is a pump fake. That movie is a definition of a pump fake, man. Yeah, Ugh. no. I hope the next one is good enough to justify this, but honestly, the fact that they're like, well, it's a, uh, it's actually uh, about COVID nineteen, and and I'm like, no. There's no way they could do that. Man. They like, like announced that David Gordon Green was gonna make a movie about all the weird, like back alley shady dealings that went on behind the scenes to get Disneyland open. And I'm like, I want that. I want that so bad. Can we please skip the conclusion to what I thought was going to be my favorite horror movie trilogy of all time? I mean, well, if I don't I I we fell so far. We flew so close to the sun, to the sun. and all the wax in our wings melted. It, it, it melted on our face, and we got facial burns because of it. And then we drowned after that. So Yeah, not only did we get facial burns, but we also fell into the ocean. <laughs> and you, you would think that, you know, the ocean waters would cool our burns, but it just irritated the burn. So, yeah. you know, it was just a real hellscape. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, they're gonna have to put them in just a room, and they just like they they like celebrity death match the whole shit, yo. That would be something. <laughs> That's more than what they is more than what they're giving. Hmm. <laughs> oh man. I I would say the same thing about a white person because I feel obligated every time I criticize a person of color to like panic. Do it. Because I'm cognizantly aware of how white I am on this podcast. But do no, it. No, I just, I just like homie. Well, Kat, I, I will say... You have good reasons, though. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, you're not yeah. like... I, you're not like the lady so, over the weekend who had a problem with King Richard being about Venus and Serena's dad. It's like... They were executive producers on the film. They had control over so, who it was about, homie. Yeah. You're not they, reaching. Yeah. You're not a person out here reaching, yeah. trying to, so, like, make a point. No, I just think that, like, when you're a celebrity, there's a certain part of your, like, public persona that you just kind of have to, like, go of, Right. Mm-hmm. And he has allegedly, let's not get slandered uh, or slammed for slander, allegedly uh, taken down like multiple artists, like renderings of him that were being sold on Etsy or wherever. Uh, and like that, what they were doing is technically not against the law. 
yeah um, it's more him abusing his like power as like a prince person. and mickey mouse do the but, same exact thing too yes though, so. and yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah but it's not you know what i mean yeah but it's also like, guys he, all of you relax yeah no everybody needs to calm the fuck down i'm just saying that a lot of individuals not a lot but some individuals are more chill about it than others mm-hmm. and i think it's really interesting that he encourages especially on social media people to like do what they have to do to get by and follow their dreams but also if it has anything to do with me get that shit away from me did cease you, and desist. you i know you guys saw the the video the the, uh, the little girl who did a uh, red bone for her girl scout cookies and then i forget which nope. it was a little girl she did like a rendition of um of a uh, red bone to sell a bunch of girl scout cookies and then she came on i want to say it was like stephen colbert or something like that well gambino was on stephen colbert and they brought the little girl out and he like bought all the rest of her cookies or whatever but he very if you look at it like his face he was like and i mean he does you know he's he's like a weirdo anyway but uh and universal music group did whack her with the cease and desist though (laughs) so his lawyers like yeah yeah theoretically put a nine-year-old girl into debt so then he like buys all of her he he said he bought bought the rest of the cookies or whatever on this on on the scene but um yeah it was just like he did not look like he wanted to i won't say you know what was going on behind his eyes but you know as a person who just reads people sometimes it was just like yeah yeah, yeah, man, I bought the rest of the cookies. You know, like he just kind of said it. And he says a lot of things through his teeth just because like that's just kind of like, you know, he just has like the the sleepy Carl persona thing going on where he comes out with the bummy shorts and the mm-hmm. you know, the 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 barely there or whatever and it's just like um yeah, anyway. But yeah, he, he, he did not look like he wanted to. He was definitely doing a PR thing. And so so cat I I would also say as well um if you even if you have kind of uh anxiety about and i guess even the listeners if they have like anxiety about you know being critical of black uh folks in kind of sort of pop spaces or whatever as long as you kind of do it from a place of your i don't know it just feels like i think a lot of people kind of get the misconception of like if you if you want to criticize someone and they happen to be like you know a minority okay but at the same time it's like as long as you're like you know smart about what you talk about at the baseline that's all that kind of matters and you've always been that so there's always going to be a a faction that's going to criticize something that you a, a critique or a criticism of coming from white people about black people and a lot of that comes from a lot of that comes from like general defensiveness and and over uh like hyper vigilance but some of that also like when it's warranted it's because the white people don't know what the fuck they're talking about like in our, in yeah. our previous example of the the king richard uh woman mm-hmm. who yeah like oftentimes if you know what the fuck you're talking about and you know, not to say like you got to show your work or your degree or whatever it the fuck it is that it is that um, allows you to speak to whatever it is. Um, 
like you know you don't come off as haughty when you try to say something about anybody you don't come off as like i know more than you about anything about your own shit but your criticism of him uh dinging whomever for recreations like i think that's fair because it's like especially if you also show the work of do you have mixtapes you know what I'm saying? You went on like a version and sang to me as I'm so into you. You went on a show and did yeah. that. You know what I'm saying? So you can't do that and then do that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, as long as you're showing the work and the research and you've Googled, then you know what I'm saying? Like, nobody, Yo. if people are upset with you, it is specifically because they're making something out of a racial and element that's not there. I would just like Did to state for the record that I don't know if that's him directly or if that is his management team. Like a couple of years yeah. ago, Mark Ruffalo had to cancel last minute at Rhode Island Comic-Con and his management team refused refunds for the folks who had prepaid for their like photo ops and stuff. And when Mark Ruffalo came, like found out, he refunded everybody out of his own pocket. That's dope. Uh, Cause he's a good dude. So, like, for all I know, he has no idea that any of this has ever happened. Um, yeah. I think, you know, because he's, 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 he's too busy making Redbone or whatever. But, like, he's I... Re- he's really in control of his brand, so... Mm. Oh. But that doesn't mean he doesn't advocate, uh, abdicate, excuse me, certain aspects of that. So he can focus on brand content, not necessarily the brand form, if that makes sense. Um, but I, I, again, I don't know. I would love, I would love to chat with him about it sometime. I think that would be a really interesting yeah, conversation man. just from a branding perspective. Um, but I also know that a lot of celebrities don't like to think about themselves as brands. So I don't think that would be a, a feasible conversation. Oh no, I, I think he does, but maybe he just won't admit that. I, but think, Eric, he, did you see- I think he does begrudgingly because of the, um, because of like how it constantly comes up in Atlanta mm-hmm. where yeah. like talking about people branding themselves and like the, the, the takedown of like people who very like take social media so seriously or like influencers and stuff like that. We see that like constantly on mm-hmm. that show. Um, not necessarily like as a knock, but just like people again, making it a business and whether, you know, begrudgingly or not, like, you know, like that's all like Paperboy is like railing against. He hates that he has to do it. And like, you know, he has like the whole episode with the girlfriend where, you know, like she's talking about like we're good for each other's brand and blah, blah, blah. And he's just like, fuck brands. Like he's just trying to find something that he thinks is real. But unfortunately, that's what this is what real is now. And like just kind of like coming to grips with that as a performer and coming to grips with that, probably as someone making the show. Like you have to be so cognizant of like everything that social media entails. And it's like constantly dudes running up on him, taking pictures and, you know, trying to do the whole, you know, big bro city fuck with the movement and all of that. And it's just like, it's so obnoxious and annoying. And, you know, even I find myself like, you know, reaching out to people a, because, you know, I want to talk to those people and B because it's like, I am trying to do some work. Like mm-hmm. I reached out to Kat Chinetti, you know, like forever ago, which our friendship doesn't seem like it started v- via social media, but it did. It did, yeah. You know, so it was just like, 
I saw something very interesting that Kat was doing and was like, I want to meet this person. I want to talk to this person. And we did. And so it just so happens that we're like super cool friends who are going to see each other in a couple of days. I'm very excited. I'm, I'm hype. But, um, you know, and, and not that everything is going to turn out that way, but like you, sometimes you meet people trying to do business and you end up being real cool with them. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, but that's not typical. I also feel like, and in, in no way is this like a, a dig or, or anything at anybody, but like when I first came to to hang out with you, like I brought multiple people in case oh, for like, anything sure. went for like sure. sideways because at the end of the day, like we, we met and we are friends now. And I am so grateful for that fact. But at the time I was like, all right, if I need to like bail and protect my brand. For sure. Like- I need to basically have an extraction team. And we don't talk to half of that extraction team anymore. But the other half and I are still. Turns out. Um, (laughs) Turns out (laughs) I was the one who was going to need extracting. I'm in danger. Um, Yeah, literally. Um, Yeah. And and that that night when you were like, hey, do you mind if I bring? I'm like, I, I always told everybody because at the end of the day, I'm like, you're about to come to a stranger's house and be in a room with a closed door by all means. Bring also, whatever makes you feel safe. Worth <laughs> affirming to me, not even your house. Right. Someone else's house. Yes. Yes. So even if, even if I were to do something to you, like you can't send the cops yeah. there to find me. Right. So it was like, no, do whatever you need to do because yes, I want everybody that comes here to feel safe and, and be secure. Yeah. So yes, yeah, sure. if you I, want to bring a couple people, by all means, do what you got to do. That is an exquisitely done list as well, my good brother. So, Thank you, brother. yeah, man, keep. I, I'm not a very religious guy, but my dad is super religious. So, I grew up in, I mean, I grew up around black folks. So, uh, right. I definitely know what it is. <laughs> so, you know what it is. Um, but, you know, not any, nothing but God. Okay, mom. Ba- thanks. Basically, my dad was definitely like that. He still is like that, actually. I, you know, the funny my, thing is, so. Of course, my mother is like that. My. Thanksgiving morning, my dad's going to church, and so I want to meet. I want to meet my dad at church, and this is the first time I've seen my dad since Christmas of 2019. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm probably gonna cry. So I'm I'm very waiting for that moment. I'm to gonna cry too. Uh, <laughs> I, but I nah, actually, man. Like my dad was my Sunday school teacher. Oh shit, uh, that's hard. But I also got to to briefly, like through my mom, reconnect with my my youth pastor growing up, um, who drove to march with Martin Luther King. Damn, that's hard. Oh, he's the coolest person ever. He was at the Selma march, like in the movie Selma. One of the people he drove down to with is the white one of the white preachers who dies in that movie. Oh shit! Oh shit! Like they, they, he's the coolest dude. Um, and I got to like say hi to him for a minute, which was pretty special. All right. Hard body. That's hard. All right. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I I struggle with the faith, but I don't not appreciate it, if that makes sense. Oh, for sure. (laughs) For sure. For sure. We, listen, we grew up questioning everything. And it's like, hey, dog, that's kind of what. That's, that's what God wants you to do. 
there's a there's a bible verse that says study to show thyself approved so it, it means don't just don't don't just take the pastor's word for it do your own goddamn research and i understand that that was a pretty choice uh that was a wild choice of words just now but <laughs> so that's, like, that's it's honestly though like do that what is you're supposed to do that's something that never came up in in how i was taught yeah. which i think is very interesting it, it, um, yeah math matthew got a whole lot of red writing that means jesus is talking and jesus be saying he's he's the teacher for a reason man he's he's the teacher <laughs> I I increasingly am convinced that Jesus and I probably would have been friends. Oh, definitely. Pro- no, probably uh, about it. No, probably about it. Yeah, I think Jesus would have saw the vision. Jesus, yeah, yeah. Look, he was yeah. friends with a bunch of dudes and and sex workers. Like yes. we are the same. I too was conceived not through human touch. Like it's fine. <laughs> Damn it! Damn it! Damn it! We almost made it. If a comedy movie peaks in the first five minutes, what does that say? <laughs> it it says everything you need to know. <laughs> oh man! I'm like, I feel like maybe I've been a little like weirdly down on schlocky kind of movies on here. Like, I don't, I don't. The more that I think about showgirls, the more that I kind of get it. But also, I also think I'm also right. Like, I think those things exist, can coexist in an opinion. Yes, absolutely. Um, that's what we told you that night as well. Yeah, yes. and I think I think I did agree with you then because mm-hmm. I did like, I'd say, 80% of the movie. But the 20% that I disliked was such a strong dislike that... You know, it was hard. And I feel like this is the opposite. I really liked 20% of it, but the 80% that I disliked, I really disliked. And it made yeah. it really difficult for me to like balance yeah. this. But I also feel like it's specifically this adaptation is kind of just like, hey, men, do whatever you want. Whoa, that was if a you're, lot. If, if you're, if your girlfriend is right for you, she will wait for 15 years for you. That was so bad. <laughs> uh. And that that to me was when I was like, pardon? Yeah, that was no good. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much. That was that was a terrible lesson. <laughs> That was really bad. It would be, it will be fine if you go be an asshole for 15 years or longer because someone will always be waiting for you is like the worst possible thing you can impart on young men. And I'm maybe starting to see why young men like this movie because they (laughs) see it as like validation that they can be bad people, but still get like a loving home. And just come back whenever. Yeah. I mean, I'll definitely say you're not wrong about that, so. Because, like, one thing that happens in A Christmas Carol is, like, it's not, like, it's it's a happy ending in a lot of ways, but, like, Clara doesn't come back. Like, he blew that. That relationship is over. That relationship is never restored. 
he has to learn how to have new relationships and how to love in new contexts. So yeah. yes, it's an ending, but it's also like, he has to do work. Like all, all the ghosts really did was go like, all right, here's the slide to hell or the ladder out of it. And he yeah. goes, okay, I guess I'll start climbing. And he starts working on himself along the way. And like this one, it's like, it just, it didn't do that. Yeah, did not. And I think that there could have been a really good, wacky, high energy, blast of crazy kind of retelling of A Christmas Carol. We just didn't (laughs) get it. (laughs) I don't think anyone will go this extreme ever again, which is very sad. (laughs) I want someone at least try, at least try. So for you, what's your first Christmas movie that you remember just loving? My first Christmas movie memory um, is we had a, a very specific, I remember the box exactly, of, of Rudolph, a VHS tape. <laughs> and we always would watch it upstairs on my parents' bed, my parents and, and me, on Christmas Eve, right before I went to bed. Okay. And we didn't like watch a lot of stuff upstairs as a family. Um, you know, because that was really their space. Um yeah. but I think that's how I knew it was special. Um <laughs> so I very clearly remember that. Um but I do think like that one we vi- revisit most years, but Emma Daughter's Jug Van Christmas, which I made you watch last year, <laughs> it's not christmas until we watch it nice um and then as i got a little bit older i think a muppet christmas carol kind of came onto that rota as well a lot of our our family traditions are jim henson based uh around christmas there's nothing wrong with that you know and like as fun as the hallmark movies are if i had to go a christmas without watching at least one of the henson specials i don't know that it would be christmas (laughs) Yeah, I get that. I get that. And that was actually, Emin Otter, like, that was something that I vividly remember watching in, like, elementary school, like, early elementary school. So, so yeah. And shout out to PBS, man. God damn. Shout, shout, shout out to when you can watch educational things without having to go on YouTube for the shit. Yeah. and And for me, like... Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas is another one of those specials that like it's it's not about what you have. It's about what you love. Because mm-hmm. not only is that movie a love letter to family, but it's a love letter to music. Yeah. And and other things that to me have always made Christmas more Christmas. No, definitely. So which is, I would assume. Well, Emanada is number one. I would assume Rudolph is number two for you. What would be your number three? I, I would say that Rudolph is probably in in my top five. Okay. Um, I think my order, like my power ranking, uh, would be Emanada number one. Um, I think Muppet Family Christmas, the special that we I, did, we watch that last year. I think so. And yeah, Muppet, uh, Muppet Christmas Carol and Muppet Family Christmas are actually tied for two. Okay, I think then Rudolph right under that. 
Um, okay. And then let's see, how would I round out my top five? It's a good question. Let me look through some of my, my Christmas movies on Letterboxd because I don't have a memory anymore. <laughs> what is memory? Um, yeah. Um, I know it's a fairly new addition to like the canon, but I did really love Klaus. I think that's definitely up there. I don't know if it's number five, um, but like it's it's up there. Um, Klaus is cool. I just, there is something very nice about a fairly quiet Christmas thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's the stakes are a town. Like it's not <laughs> the world. It's, like it's a town. Um, the stakes I mean, are a town. It's it's funny, but because it's so true. I also think that's a really beautiful portrait of grief at the holiday season, which is yeah. like an important thing to consider. Maybe not as, as a child, but definitely as you age. Um, I'm just trying to think of like what I think probably Charlie Brown Christmas. Okay solid pick um, i know pick. It's, i know it's only like a 25 minute special but i yeah, i love counts. the i love that soundtrack as well uh you know the kids all coming together to to remind someone who feels alone at the holiday season that they are loved and important um i think is really valuable i also just you know the the skating music that they play at the beginning every time it snows that's what it sounds like in my brain you know that (laughs) that special is so much a part of who i am and how i perceive winter okay that i think that that would probably have to round out my five all right what about you so (laughs) not surprising Not surprising, a uh, jingle all the way is making my top five. <laughs> uh, I would say, I'd probably say maybe um, I can't put Bad Santa, even though it's funny as hell, I can't put that as a top five. I feel like I have to exercise some kind of, uh, some kind of <laughs> restraint. Um, so I would say jingle all the way home alone christmas story uh those are four through two and i think number one <laughs> what else could it be it has to be die hard <laughs> it has to be die hard. i really like die hard um i'm probably gonna watch it again at christmas this year okay but I think it's a, a recent enough addition into the canon that I can't add it to the classics roster for me right now. Well, yeah, because you you watched it less than a year ago, so yeah, makes yeah, sense. it'll be it'll be a year next week. Um. <laughs> oh man, so yeah, so you know you need multiple Christmases with Die Hard. Yeah, and I, I actually really did enjoy watching it. Um, that said, uh some people who say that Die Hard are their favorite Christmas movie not you, you're fine uh, give me Boys in College with Fight Club wall posters of energy and uh, I don't need that because they don't get it they don't, they don't. get it um, and that's like a lot it is it is 
Follow Cat at Cat underscore Chinetti on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Follow Marcus at Showin Mad Love on Twitter and Letterboxd. Follow our Twitter page at Cat and Mark and read us at catseasmovies.tumblr.com and themarkrob.wordpress.com. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenley. Thanks for listening. We should do this again sometime. This is a hyphen podcast production. Are you not entertained?